Well, hello, and welcome to the e-commerce evolution podcast, where we bring you the best of what's new and what's next in e-commerce. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce, and our mission with this show is to interview the top merchants, the top marketers, and the experts shaping the e-commerce industry. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by Zipify and their flagship app, Zipify Pages. Zipify Pages is an e-commerce sales funnel and landing page builder that seamlessly integrates into your Shopify store. Just start with one of a growing list of templates and then customize and go. These templates are created by my friend and eight-figure e-commerce store owner, Ezra Firestone. Each template is built with proven conversion elements, but also features a simple drag and drop editor. So you can truly make these pages your own, so you can customize and tweak and test and create some awesome landing pages and sales funnels. So check out all the details, sign up for the beta at zipify.com. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. So excited you could join us today. Uh, after a couple week hiatus, uh, I was traveling and speaking, and I confess my podcast recording schedule suffered because of it, and I let a few weeks slip by. But today is a new day and a fantastic episode. Uh, my guest today is Justin Christensen. He is the co founder and president of Conversion Fanatics, a full service conversion optimization company. Uh, he's also the host of the weekly podcast, CMO Roundtable. Check that out. And he's also a number one best-selling author of Conversion Fanatic, How to Double Your Conversions, Sales, and Profits with A-B Testing. And so we get after it on this call. We dig into conversion rate optimization, and uh, we talk about things uh, from as simple as where do you start? So you're an e-commerce store owner. Where do you start with your, your testing? We tackle quite burning questions like A-B testing versus multivariate testing. We talk about should you test versus a redesign. We dive into some of Justin's favorite tools that, that he and his team uses. Uh, and we also talk about, hey, what are some of the most unique, bizarre, strange things that have actually increased conversion? So talk about some stories. We, we dive into this topic. Uh, it's pretty fast paced. I think you'll have a lot of fun. And so with that, please enjoy my interview with Justin Christensen. Well, hello, and welcome to the e-commerce evolution podcast. So excited about my guest today, Mr. Justin Christensen. He's the co-founder and president of Conversion Fanatics, also a best-selling author, which that does not happen by chance. That's a uh, very impressive. It takes a lot of work to get there. And so we're talking about conversion rate optimization. Super excited about that. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. It's my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Really love this topic. I mean, this this is obviously a huge topic, conversion rate optimization. And, and I know you've got a ton of experience here and so excited just to pick your brain and, and hit this from several different angles. I know it'll be really helpful to the listeners. So just, just quickly, would love to hear, you know, like the 90-second story on how did you get to this place? So so how did you become a conversion rate? expert why did you start conversion fanatics just kind of kind of fill us in on that journey really quickly yeah so i've been digital marketing for 15 years 
and started very young. And luckily, I was very analytical. I always wondered why people did certain things in psychology. Age, age 10? Did you start at age 10, Justin? Uh, 21, <laughs> I okay. think. Hey, so, right. hey, we're like a year apart. Very cool. All right. Nice. Yeah. So I did uh, that, moved up kind of the ladder through affiliate marketing, and had always done split testing, you know, even back before there was software to actually do it. Um, I had a very successful information marketing company, which I sold back to my business partners in 09 and went into kind of private consulting, helping some people. But I had published some information about split testing results and and some different things. So basically out of demand, people were asking me about the implementation and the strategy. And uh, luckily, my business partner now, he had a similar situation and he's very much process oriented and he had kind of a team built out. So we decided to kind of take that demand and really go full blown because we understood the importance of, you know, there's hundreds of different ad agencies out there that'll drive traffic for you, but not very many actually focus on the conversion side. So it basically started from demand. Yeah. And that's usually the best way to start a business. And, and we'd fall into the other category as well. We're more of a traffic agency. That's what we do. You know, getting the right traffic obviously is very important, but, <clears throat> but man, if you're not filling the holes on the other side, right, of where you've got conversion leaks and where you're missing people, then then you're, you're really being inefficient. And we so, really make we really make people like you look like rock stars too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, and I mentioned before in the show, but it's often, you know, if you need a, a bump in sales, it's often easier or, or more straightforward to increase conversions than it is to increase traffic. You know, if you had to double your sales, you may not be, have the budget to double your traffic, or you may not have the ability to double your traffic right now. But you could potentially, you know, double your conversions or increase your conversions by ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent, and keep and keep growing that. So, mm-hmm. so uh, let, let's talk about the obviously this show is all e-commerce, and so you know we got e-commerce store owners and, and practitioners, and so you know you've been in the business a long time. If you were if you were given a new e-commerce business or an e-commerce store. And you were given the the vague task of hey in, increase conversions. Where would you start testing? So what might you do first? First step would probably be to remove image sliders on the homepage. <laughs> nice death um, image sliders. I love it. Yeah, uh, that's one. Um, probably one of the biggest thing is congruency and consistency throughout the process of uh, well, having. Let's talk about uh, just just before you get <clears throat> there because uh, I totally agree with you. The slider piece. Let's let's kill the sliders. From your perspective, though, why? Um, eight out of ten times, we find that it actually reduces conversions um, because our attention spans are nothing online. Basically, you know, Google said it did a study recently that said fifty percent of your mobile visitors will leave if your page doesn't load in uh, three in three seconds or less. Um, but if you aren't grabbing their attention quickly and you're just quickly moving to the next step you're not grabbing their attention, sucking them into the rest of your marketing message and your process. So we like to replace it typically with a static image that has a you know strong benefit and a clear call to action. Yeah, can't beat it. Strong benefit, strong call to action. You know, lead. You know, put your best foot forward. A lot of times, I think people just fill in those sliders just because you know because I'm supposed to have five sliders so that you know even second, third, fourth are just afterthoughts. You know, not the core mm-hmm. message or the core benefit. That's going to drive results. So, okay, great. Well, I, I derailed you a little bit. So, you're also talking about congruency and consistency. Yeah. So, my whole philosophy on optimization is to lead the visitor down the path of least resistance to the end goal you want achieved. 
And oftentimes you'll see sites that have inconsistent main call to action button colors. You know, first page, it's a black button on a theme. And then the next one, it's an orange button. And then you're just not leading them down that path, you know, subconsciously throughout the process. So I usually like to add some contrast to those main calls to action and then make it consistent throughout the entire process. Love that idea. Yeah, make it instantly clear the, you know, and the isolation effect I've heard where the call to action button is the, is a slightly different color. It's the only element that is that exact color, which, which I think makes sense. It's kind of like the taking the offline approach of uh, Ikea. I don't know if you ever shop Ikea, Justin. Yeah. Um, I, you, yeah. The maze. Yeah, exactly. The maze. Yeah. And, uh, man, what, you, you can't just go to Ikea for like 15 minutes. It's a, it's a whole day affair, especially if you go with your wife. But, yeah, I mean, the maze, you know, you just follow the arrows, just follow it, and, and they lead you right through. It's easy, and, and uh, uh, you basically have to buy something. So um, that's For awesome. sure. What, what do you see uh, – well, any, any other thoughts there on, on where you started? Were those the, the, the two main points? No, those are pretty much two main points. Is yeah. If I had gun to head, had to test some things, that would be it. Love it. What are the biggest mistakes you see? So, again, e-commerce business – where do you see the holes in the boat consistently? Where are these conversions leaking out? Um, in the number of steps in the process is probably one of the biggest things because more steps leads to friction. So you have companies that have a product detail page or they have a catalog page and then it goes to a product detail page and they have quick view and then they have add to wish list and then they take them to a sign up page and they've got a six step checkout process and it's just cumbersome and it's more prominent more so in the larger companies who think they need to capture those accounts and do all of those things. But once you really streamline that process, um, it leads to much bigger improvements. We had one recently where we had three steps to their process and we combined the first two steps and it actually increased their checkouts by over a hundred percent. Wow. Wow. What, what are some of the, what are some of those things that you're, you're cutting out? Cause <clears throat> I hear you. I think you start talking to companies and specifically larger ones where there's a committee or a marketing team or whatever. Everybody's got their their element of that process that they think is important. Uh, what what are some of the things that you're cutting or, or or getting rid of? Where where is there maybe waste or redundancy? Um, usually in the checkout process, oftentimes they'll have a separate page for billing and they'll have a separate page for shipping and then they'll have separate page for account sign up or checkout as guest. And there's just friction in that whole entire process. So you'll land on a page and it'll say, log in with Facebook, log in with Google. And then here, your returning visitor, here's a form. And then there's another form and there's just so much going on. You're not maximizing that process flow. So we just try to remove all of those roadblocks. Yeah, it makes sense. What what are your what are your thoughts and feelings on the the social sign in? I know there may be some cases where that's beneficial, but but have you found that mainly by eliminating that that's better or does it just depend? Um it really depends on what you're doing and if you can sell them on why they need to do it. <laughs> um most people just leave it open ended. They're just like, "Here, here's the first step in the process," but you have to give them a reason to actually want to sign in, you know, maybe they get benef- member rewards or, or some kind of incentive that gets them to, you know, push them over the edge. It's kind of like the old, here's my newsletter, sign up for it type thing right. versus giving them something of value in exchange for that email address. So we'll generally try to streamline it 
if we can check out as guest, we generally do that first and then have just a simple link that says already a member, you know, click here and then it pops up a form. And so we're just keeping it really kind of linear in the process. Great. So you're, you're a guest checkout fan then. I am because you're still capturing the information. Yep. 100% agree. 100% agree. You know, Amazon has done really well by forcing the sign in, but but we're not all Amazon, right? No. Uh, uh, there are some things that, that uh, I, I coach a basketball team, and it's like, you know, not everybody's going to be able to make the moves that Michael Jordan makes, you know, as much as you want. Uh, there, there are some parts of his game you should definitely uh, emulate, or I guess LeBron James would be a better example today. You know, some things you can mm-hmm. watch and emulate, other things you're not going to be able to do that. Um, no. So... So that totally makes sense. Um, uh, good. Any any other things that, that you would you would slice out of the the checkout? Oh, and I, and I love what you pointed out about the shipping and and billing. Right? How often are those different? Like, just make that a default that they're the same, and then if they're different, someone can check the box to, to, to check the <laughs> box. Yeah, uncheck the box or or check it or whatever to make that different. Um, uh, but are, are are you telling people just to reduce some of the the fields as well? Like, reduce some of the, the things that are, that you're asking for. Yeah, I, I mean, so many people give up (laughs) when it comes to the checkout process. They think, okay, I've got them. They're into this checkout process now and they don't can one continue selling throughout that process. Mm -hmm. Um, and two, they're asking for so much information that's absolutely useless. So I always ask them for what's the minimum amount of information you need to be successful. Um, we did this once with uh, a client. They asked, they had a, how did you hear about us field in their form, but through tracking, we knew exactly where every, right, came right. from. <laughs> and we removed that field and it increased form submissions by 75%. Man, man. And that's something that probably they never gave a second thought. It was like, well, no. we have to ask. Everybody asks. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, we have it in the URL string exactly where they came from. It's called UTM parameters. Yeah. We, we got <laughs> yeah. that. So, um, that's great. I mean, I think just little things like that that, that people don't even consider. And, you know, we, we are. We're lazy. We're impatient. If, if it, As shoppers, if it looks like we're going to have to fill out a ton, of, a ton of different fields or multiple steps, you know, it's a 27-step process to check out, then, then we're just uh, we're likely to, to bail. Um, what has been your experience on, and I, I've heard people in different camps on this, but uh, do you keep the main navigation once someone gets into the cart? Do you still keep the main navigation where they can still return and shop, or do you take that away? Where then once you're in the cart, you just you know your only path now is to to continue checking out. Uh, any, any thoughts? I on that? usually remove it on checkout. Um, if it's just a general cart, um, there's other things you can kind of do there, but I try to limit the menu because um, less options means you know you have a better chance of them doing what it is that you want them to do on your site. Yep. Yep. Totally makes sense. Okay. So I think this is a, a kind of an age old question, or at least as long as CRO has been around. So uh, age being, you know, a few years, whatever, but uh, AB testing or split testing versus multivariate testing. Uh, when would you do one versus the other? What advice would you give to people on AB versus multivariate? So true multivariate, I almost never do. And, and actually, maybe uh, just just because it's probably helpful, could you explain the difference between the two, just in case uh, no one knows? Yeah. So A/B testing is simply taking one element, changing one small thing, or changing one thing and comparing it to another. So you're comparing an apple to an orange, essentially. Whereas multivariate would be 
you're changing, you're taking 12 different headlines, 12 different button colors, and you're finding the best combination. Basically, the software will rotate them evenly to find the best winning combination is generally what a multivariate is. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so true multivariate, you almost never recommend. And, and why is that? Um, well, true multivariate testing is one, it takes forever to set up. Um, two is that it takes time and a truckload of traffic to get results. And three is you can end up back where you started from with an even result or even a losing result just by running the test. And then now you've wasted weeks trying to get a statistically significant result and then you're back scratching your head because you would think in theory it sounds great you know we'll just change a bunch of things and it'll find the winning combination but um, you could have learned um, so much more by just running a true a b test or even an a b c d e test just because in optimization we're looking for learning opportunities because we know that one out of six tests is going to be a winner or even one out of 10 in some cases is going to be a winner. But what happens to the rest of the losing variations? So we want to learn, test as quickly as possible what they like, what they don't like, and then build upon that to build ourselves up for bigger wins versus waiting weeks and weeks and weeks for results to come in. It probably feels like at the outset that the multivariate would be faster. That's probably what people would assume is, oh, well, we don't have time to do this test and then do the next test. Let's do it all at once. But really, it takes longer. And and you're right. I think people greatly underestimate the amount of traffic you have to have for multivariate to be statistically significant. So Yeah, and another catalyst there is we'll actually take and make a bunch of changes per se and look for a bigger swing. Say maybe we'll redesign an entire product detail page and we'll test that against the control but then we'll go back if we get a big win and we'll test, do iterative testing to see which one actually had the biggest impact and why. So then we can massage the numbers a little bit more and kind of squeeze that orange a little bit more to get more juice. Gotcha. So maybe maybe this would be a scenario where you look at the product detail page and say, man, this thing is a train wreck. We've got our list of best practices, things we think will be better. So we just we roll with that. We launch the new <clears throat> page. We see that it wins. And then we go back and maybe try to isolate which changes had the, the biggest impact. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because that's what we're looking for. And a misconception is that optimization is split testing. Split testing is only what we use to confirm or deny our assumptions or our test hypothesis. So we want to really narrow down why something happened versus like, oh, hey, I'm just going to test a button color today and then not really have a reason why that button color right. was changed. Right. I'm changing the button color just because uh, or because yeah. I heard it at a conference or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you, you brought up a, a good point, and I think this is a, a good uh, tie-in. When do you test versus when do you just redesign, right? Because I'm sure there's some people out there, we talk to customers all the time that come to us and say, hey, we hate our site, you know, and we don't do website work, but they still tell us that. Um, so when do you say, okay, we need to blow this up and start over versus – you know, let's let's test. Let's let's run some tests on the on the cart and on the product detail page and just try to get this thing converting better. Redesign that maybe you know too much too soon. Well, if the the only time I really emphasize a redesign is if the core underlying structure of the site is terrible. Maybe you're going to replatform. Um, but what I generally say is test first because 
you're going to oftentimes end up with a new site as a result of effectively testing. Um, I know we did this with an e-commerce company not too terribly long ago where we ended up basically with a new site. I mean, an entirely new theme, essentially, because we were testing so much. So what I often will find is it doesn't matter what you or I think. It matters what the visitors think. If you hate your site, great, but it can be improved and your visitors see it differently than you do. Um, and there's, we can get into the whole debate about branding and doing all of that stuff too. But, um, so I'll generally recommend testing first because then you're learning and you have an educated way of going about a redesign because we hear companies all the time running into, it's like, oh yeah, we'd love to test, but we're redesigning our site or we just redesigned our site. How come our, um, conversions are in the tank? Well, did you guys strategically redesign it or did you just redesign it because it looked cool? Yeah. Um, yeah. And oftentimes it's looked cool. <laughs> yeah, we, we went with Joe and back in the design department because that, that's what he does. He knows websites. He, he redesigned mm-hmm. it and, and that's, that's all good. Yeah, and, and we've experienced that on, on this end as well. We had a client a couple years ago in the outdoor water sport industry and they had a dated site. It was an old site and it didn't look great. It did convert okay though. Uh, and so they did what a lot of companies do. They just went in and you know redesigned it. So we just we wanted to look different, we wanted to look better, want to update it. So they they created a new site that did look better. Conversion rates were significantly lower, and mm-hmm. then that's where if they take an approach like you said, where they say, okay, we don't we know this is data, we don't like it, so let's start testing these variations of the product detail page, and let's test these variations of the the uh, category page. You know, eventually. Like the, the the company you mentioned a minute ago, you you basically have a redesign, but now you're leading with data and you're letting the customer dictate what they do, and th- and that's another one of those things where I think people say, yeah, we don't have time for that. We just need to redesign the site, and then my thought is, well, what you really don't have time for is investing money in a new site and then realizing we just decreased conversions thirty percent with this new design that now we're stuck with, paid a lot of money for, and and all of that. So yeah, and waited months <laughs> and waited months for it. Yeah. And waited months for the privilege. Yeah. And, and paid a ton for it. So, um, cool. So let, let's talk mobile for a minute. Obviously everything is, is shifting mobile and, and, you know, mobile has uh, garnered more search queries than desktop for some time. And now even recently, like just the amount of time in general that people spend online is predominantly on a mobile device. So how can an e-commerce company, increase their mobile conversions? Where do you usually start uh, with mobile? So I usually look at the user experience and the user process here. Um, what And again, it all comes back down to friction because at the end of the day, we're all dealing with the same thing. It's just different devices. And the problem there and kind of some of the big hurdles that you come across in mobile conversions is getting the message across in such a small space without sacrificing your user experience. So we did this once with, uh, it was a women's clothing retailer, fairly large uh, company. And uh, we went in and noticed from some heat maps and, and such that there was a lot of friction. What they did is they had on their mobile where you had to tap to select the size, you had to tap to select the color, um, but you had to tap to open it up to select the color. Mm. Um, so what we did is we expanded all of those elements. And initially our result didn't, proved to be very well. We actually lost by 20%, but we came back and we tweaked it just a little bit, kind of massaging the user flow a little bit and it ended up increasing their mobile checkouts by, I think it was like 39%. Wow. Wow. That, that's, that's impressive. What, what do you think, 
What do you think are some of the the overall hurdles for for mobile? Because you know when we look at Google Analytics accounts, we're seeing mobile conversion rates that are sometimes a third, sometimes a half of what they are on desktop. <clears throat> do you believe that's more of a, a mobile wallet issue where you know it's just not that easy to check out on a mobile device? And if I have that, you know, ten step cart checkout, I'm just I'm going to bail. Or, or do you think it's more about users' behavior on mobile devices, or is it just about the experience in general? What, what, what are the biggest roadblocks right now, you think? I think some of it comes down to attention span and process. Um, there are steps you can take, like optimizing your forms and, and such to be really extremely mobile-friendly and kind of autofill. Um, and then you also have the, the issue of cross-device. So maybe they're browsing and they see an ad on their phone, and then they come back and buy on desktop. It's very tough to kind of track that. It's getting a little bit easier, but I think there's some of that. So you're seeing, you know, we've seen sites upwards of 75% of their traffic is mobile. And probably the biggest area of improvement that we see across everybody that we come in contact with is mobile. Um, and I think they focus so much so on, you know, being responsive and, and having all of these elements to be kind of mobile friendly, but they fail to actually optimize the mobile experience separately. And, you know, considering that you have a responsive site, that's great, but it's, they don't understand that you can actually optimize that separately, even if you have a responsive site. So it's treating it as if it's its own unique kind of journey, regardless of kind of the situation. Yeah, so understanding what the user is actually doing on the, the mobile site, what they want to do on the mobile site, and, and tailoring the, the experience for that. I think that makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. Th this, this has a mobile component, but then just general uh, desktop as well. What about payment options? So again, looking at e-commerce, what have you seen on the payment option thing? Should, should people offer PayPal and pay by Amazon and every option under the sun? Should they do something simple? I've even seen now where if you're on your mobile device, um, you know, the site will detect what kind of device you're on and what you have set up potentially, then they'll, they'll maybe recommend something. So, you know, hey, you're on an Apple device, I'm going to recommend Apple Pay. You know, you're, so you're on an Apple device, you're on Safari, I'm going to recommend Apple Pay. Um, any thoughts on payment options? If you can strategically do it like you're talking about, that's going to be much more beneficial. But what we've actually used successfully is just – again, keeping it very simple and linear is just offer every major credit card, but then we'll also use like exit intents and things like that to buy on Amazon or use app, you know, Amazon pay or PayPal, um, to kind of save those visitors, maybe given one last chance to, to purchase. But the more, again, the more elements you add to the process, if it isn't seamless on the back end, the more issues you're going to have in your conversion rate typically. Gotcha. So you'll use like an exit pop uh, to, to offer Amazon payment or some other kind of payment potentially? Yeah. Got ya. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. I like that. Um, very cool. So uh, let's, let's just talk about some unusual things because I think what happens again, you know, some people look at conversion rate optimization. It seems overwhelming. It seems daunting. And certainly there's a lot to it. Uh, most companies would be better off, you know, bringing on an expert like yourself to, to handle it. But I think it's also interesting to, to, to understand that, hey, sometimes just little changes make big, a big difference. You know, back to that old <coughs> quote that little hinges open big doors. Yeah. What, what are some of the more unique or peculiar small changes that you've seen that have made a big impact? 
Oh, let's see. One of the smallest changes we ever made was we changed the button label on an, uh, this was a luxury goods e-commerce store. We changed the button label to say from add to bag to add to cart and it increased checkouts 82%. Crazy. And that's one of those things where, and and sometimes I do this too, right? We're in the industry. We look at e-commerce sites all the day, all, all day long. We think add to cart. That's so boring. Everybody says add to cart. Mm-hmm. Let's do add to bag. That sounds cooler. But I don't know. Like that's just not going back to maybe the congruency or the consistency thing you said before. For the average shopper, like I'm used to add to cart. Like that's what makes sense to me. Add to bag is different or weird or something. I don't know. Um, crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we've had tons of different elements. I mean, down to even just changing a call to action on a form, um, we increased, we've increased it upwards of, you know, a hundred percent, just testing simple, you know, five, six words. Um, we took one company that if I mentioned the name, most people would know them by their kind of viral video campaigns that they had that had tens of millions of views, but, um, they were trying to be very clever in their product descriptions. And we just went back to straightforward, basic um, information, and we increased their checkouts by like twenty-seven percent. Yeah, you know, you really, and that's why that's why you had a test, you know. And maybe if they they hadn't done that, hadn't listened to your advice on the test, they'd still be suffering with those subpar results. But you know, you, yeah. do, you do have to keep things simple, and and you know, there there's a kind of a fine line between let's make this fun, let's make it a unique experience. Let's express our brand, and I think I know the brand you're talking about. Very fun brand, kind of whimsical, irreverent, whatever. Yep. Um, like you want to keep that, but then, but if, if you do too much and people are confused or even slightly confused, it, it can have a really negative impact. So, yeah, and I mean another thing is like uh, one very unique one that we did is most cases you think more like reviews, more testimonials, more things like that would impact conversions, which they often do is we tested one with, um, we added more, basically doubled up on the testimonial side and it decreased conversions by like 90%. Interesting. Was that for, was that for a physical product? Was that for an information product or, or a service um, or? That, that was a software as a service. Um, gotcha. one. And then we've also done it on the e-com world where we added, all we did is we added a screenshot of some Facebook chatter it was just one comment on their Facebook page and it had a bunch of comments on it, you know, like, Hey, I love the product. Nothing, no great, crazy glowing testimonials, but we added that to the checkout page in the sidebar and it increased it by like 289%. Something just crazy, Crazy. just something simple like that. So it's one of those things where, you know, social proof, we know it works, right? You have to have Mm -hmm. some social proof, some form of it. And we know that, People do like to read reviews, you know, that, that, and, and we've seen it on our end, you know, we run some Amazon ads and help coach people on Amazon. And, you know, when you don't, we don't have any reviews on a product. It's, it's hard to get that thing started. Um, but I, I love what you point out that, you know, sometimes more of a good thing is not better necessarily. Sometimes something unique like the Facebook, uh, uh, chatter will actually work better. Any, any theories on, on why adding more of those testimonials actually, uh, suppressed conversions? Any guesses? Um, here, I think it was just, it kind of, uh, muddied up the message a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, you know, we had a handful and it was plenty, you know, it was converting well. And then instead of five, we had 10. Um, so it was just, I think more distraction, um, from that process. Interesting. You know, it may, it may kind of go back to the principle. I remember one of my first sales trainers, I've been, I've been in in direct sales uh, since I was in college, but one of my first sales trainers said, once someone says yes, once they agree to the deal, stop selling, right? You know, so mm-hmm. Sometimes you can talk yourself out of the deal, right? So that this, the person's like, yeah, all right, let's sign. And then you keep talking and then the, you know, something comes up and you kill the deal. Uh, it could, could be one of those principles too where, you know, hey, you had enough to convince me. Stop wasting my time now yeah. and, uh, and muddying it up. So that's great. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the book. First of all, I'm super impressed uh, that you wrote a book. I was telling you uh, I wrote the Ultimate Guide to Google Shopping that Shopify published. It's about 50, 60 pages, something like that. That was a grueling exercise. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but nowhere near writing an actual book. And so you wrote a book. It's the number one bestseller. Talk a little bit about why you did that. And what was that experience like? So I had always, since I started my career, basically thought about writing a book, but I really never had a vehicle um, or really narrowed down on the focus. But when I really started being serious about CRO, it's when people, I realized that there was a much bigger need <laughs> to educate the audience on the proper way to do it. Um, and the benefits you can get out of optimization. So I wrote it from that standpoint in that I wanted to really educate people. But what made it harder for me to write it is I didn't want to have it fluffed up with a bunch of theory and just a bunch of filler. So the book's only 150 pages, but I wanted it to be very practical, practical and very tangible to use, whether you're a beginner or an advanced marketer. Um, so that's what took me so long to write it. And I wanted to be something that I, you know, I could be really be proud of instead of just pushing something out there that was a bunch of fluff and filler just to say that I had a book. Yeah. And, and it's a phenomenal resource, very <clears throat> practical, very actionable. Uh, I spoke at traffic and conversion. You and I actually met there at traffic and conversion mm-hmm. in San Diego. Uh, but the name of the book is conversion fanatic, how to double your customers, sales and profits with AB testing. Find it on Amazon. I'm, I'm assuming find it. Uh, elsewhere online, but but highly recommend to go go grab a copy if you don't already have it. Um, awesome. Couple of other quick questions, and then <clears throat> we'll talk about how folks can get in touch with you. Uh, first, favorite tools. So you know, if someone's going to start to get serious about testing, what tools should they consider? What do you recommend? Um, I like to keep it simple. So if you've got your major tracking things taken care of, such as, you know, UTM parameters, like we mentioned, you know, using Google Analytics and goals and e-commerce set up there. Um, I generally will only add um, a heat map solution. Um, We've got a couple favorites there, uh, Hotjar and uh, Crazy Egg. And we're also diving into more on the digital marketer side with their solution, True Conversion. So I've been talking with their their, um, director of optimization, Justin Rondo about the capabilities of that platform to possibly switch there as well. Yeah, it looks really uh, interesting. I know it's at the time of this recording, it's still relatively new, kind of coming out of beta maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious to see. would love to get your feedback on that and how that, how that goes. Yeah, it, it's uh, from what he's showing me and telling me, um, it looks to be pretty amazing. And I trust what he says because he's a super smart optimizer. But um, aside from that, you're going to need a testing tool. 
and we've got our favorites. And if dollar was no issue, then we would choose Optimizely. Um, we've just found that, you know, it's got the most bang for the buck. It's the most agile, the most adaptable platform to get the results. Um, second is if you want a lower cost alternative, um, we've been going with convert.com, uh, which is a little bit more attainable. And if you're just getting started and really just want to kind of get your feet wet into testing, I would recommend VWO, uh, visual website optimizer that is. And, but with them, we found a little bit of inconsistencies with, uh, some of the reporting. So we recommend that you have a secondary tracking <laughs> set up. So you're passing the information, at least Google, so you can see uh, and compare your notes. And, and a secondary tracking there could, could just be Google Analytics. <clears throat> yeah, Google Analytics. They allow you to pass the information over to them. Great. Great. Okay. Sounds good. Well, any uh, kind of as a last question before we get into how folks can get in touch with you, any favorite case studies, any, any examples of, hey, this is one of our proudest uh, tests or one of the, the most fun tests? Um, and then I guess in the a second part <clears throat> to that is, who should people be watching? Because I think one of the best ways to learn in any endeavor, but e-commerce uh, as well, who, who should who should we be watching who's great at conversion? So first step is your favorite <clears throat> case study, then who should we be paying attention to? Uh, one case study that really stands out happened within the last year, and we redesigned the landing page for it. They had a subscription element as part of their um, – Solution. So we redesigned the landing page and it increased their sales by 1,892%. That's a decent amount. Yeah, I think they'll, they'll take that. They'll consider that a winner. Yeah, and, it, and I mean, it was just amazing. Usually it takes a little while to get to statistical significance. This one lit up like after three days, 99% ready to go. It was like, yeah, wow. you have an absolute clear winner there. And it was just astronomical. I think even one, we were tracking several elements and one of them was up over 2,700%. But overall sales was like 18, 1,892. Can you talk about any of the elements that you think really made a, a difference there? I mean, was it was it headline? Was it image? Was it offer? Um, so we just went back to the basics on it. We made a very simple and clean page with main benefit, main call to action, basically walked them through how it works, kind of what the process was, and then some social proof. And that was the page. That's awesome. Very simple. It was just a very clean white page with, you know, the right things standing out in the right places. Did anybody on the team look at that and say, ah, oh, that's not going to win? I mean, did you have any doubters, any naysayers? or? <laughs> no, we had, we were pretty confident because the other page was pretty rough, okay. but it was okay. getting, it, but it was getting decent conversion rate. I mean, it was, it was in the three to four percent range already gotcha. on sales, so it was already decent. But we absolutely blew it up. Yeah, so nobody expected the eighteen hundred ninety-two percent conversion. We didn't expect lift. that, but we yeah. expected it to win, just probably not by that much. Yep, yep. Cool. Who who do you recommend? You know, it could either be a client, it could be a national company. Like, who do you pay attention to? Who seems to be testing and pushing the envelope a little bit on on conversion rate optimization? I mean, there's so many. Um, we generally follow kind of the underground type people, not the people generally in the limelight. And we really feed off of our clients. So I can actually pull up and see some of the ones that we're working on here um, that are doing some great things. So we pull it from all different walks of life. But um, 
Yeah, and I think that that's actually helpful though, right? So even if, you know, and I, I think one of the, the things people, the mistakes people make is they say, well, I'm a, I'm an apparel retailer, so I'm only going to pay attention to other apparel retailers. Or I'm e-commerce, so I'm only going to pay attention to e-commerce rather than maybe looking at, hey, let's let's see what the info marketers are doing. Let's see what just just pure Legion is doing or, or SaaS companies. Let's see what they're doing because you know sometimes that that breakthrough idea is not going to come from a, a direct competitor. It's going to come from somewhere else. Especially now that we've got you know solutions like Shopify, where you can literally set up a store in just a couple of days, mm-hmm. um, if not a few hours in some cases, um, is you just really need to pull. And what I always tell people, when given that situation, is at the end of the day, we're dealing with people. It doesn't matter what you're selling. It doesn't matter the vehicle at which you're selling. It's only two elements. It's traffic and conversions. And we're dealing with the psychology of buying habits and people. So people always ask me, well, what about, you know, like you said, I'm in e-commerce, so I'm only going to focus on the e-commerce side. Well, it doesn't really matter. It just transfers over. It's all psychology. It's all figuring out and learning more about your visitors. So if you see something clever or cool on somebody else's site, you know, chances are, if it, it might transfer over or the general principle of it might transfer over to say e-commerce from software as a service um, or maybe direct response supplement sales versus, you know, e-commerce. Um, so you just look and kind of find inspiration everywhere. And luckily we have our hands in a lot of different markets and a lot of different things. So we can see, you know, whether it's a guitar instruction company to an affiliate marketer um, system to a custom home builder. <laughs> Um, that's great. That's great. So we kind of pull it there. And, uh, one quick case study though, that I thought that might be beneficial that I see a lot in e-commerce is having social share icons on your product detail pages. Mm -hmm. Chances are, if you remove that, I would say eight out of 10 times, you're going to increase your conversions. Wow. Wow. Uh, and why do you think that is? So, so I mean, most (laughs) people would say, yes, I need to get more social shares. I want people to tweet my widget. Um, but why, why do you think that, why does that kill conversion sometimes? In most cases, it's not the benefits of them sharing it are not going to outweigh the conversion yes. change. Yes. So it's a distracting element. So if you have the big Facebook share, the Pinterest button, and you have all of these things on here, then you're they're distracted away from. They're like, oh, Twitter, and then all of a sudden they're in their yeah. their feed, and then they're on to something else, or they click over to Pinterest, and they're like, oh, hey, look, and yeah. then they get distracted. Recipe craft, yeah. yeah. Totally exactly makes so. sense. Yeah, push the. I'm I'm guessing you want to push the social share after someone purchases, right? Like after they buy something, that's when you want to encourage them to share, right? Yeah, and one big other tip, not really on the CRO side, but especially in e-commerce, that works extremely well, is set up a different category page specifically for your returning visitors. Um, so after a new customer comes in give them a coupon code to come back and buy within 14 or 30 days um, that expires. Hmm. So you said, hey, thanks for your purchase. Come back. We've got these specific items on sale um, and take them back to that specific page that only gives them eight, 10 options to choose from. In some cases, you can do more and uh, just bring them back via email very quickly. And you'll you'll probably see, we've seen upwards of a 30% lift in average order value just for doing that. It's a brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. I love it. I love it. Got Justin, the weeds a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's good. That's good. A little bonus. I, I like it a lot. 
So, uh, Justin, man, you crushed it. Hit out of the park. Really good content. Uh, for those who would like to get in touch with you or, or follow you on social media, what's, what's the best way for them to, to contact you? Um, you can go to conversionfanatics.com. Uh, that's plural with an S. And uh, you can find links over to my book on Amazon. It's available on Kindle and paperback. Um, and if you want to connect with me directly on social, you can go to Clixo, C-L-Y-X-O.com slash Justin Christensen, all one word. And that has links to my YouTube and LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and all of that fun stuff. Awesome. Very good. Justin, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Tons of fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Brett, for having me. Yeah, glad to do it. So as always, everyone, I uh, would love to hear your feedback. What would you like to hear more of, less of? Uh, give us some feedback on on this show, if you would. And, and as always, we'd love to have a review on iTunes. That helps with uh, our show being discovered by others. So please do that. So until next time, keep growing. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.